Welcome to the Ontario Outdoor Pursuit Podcast. This Ontario-generated podcast is here to talk outdoor living, fishing, and hunting. Give all kinds of geeky tech talks and hunting tips with things that have worked for us. We all have a story to tell, and here's ours. What's going on, everyone? Cam here from Ontario Outdoor Pursuit. Welcome back to Whitetail Wednesday. This is episode number six. Super fired up. I had a successful time in the woods last week for the 2020 controlled hunt. So this week I've got actually my brother joined with me who is behind the scenes with the camera, but he's got some questions and uh, we're going to have him on, on the video as well. So going to dive right in how the week kind of shook down. Uh, basically, I have not participated in a controlled hunt in the past two years. Um, not for any particular reason other than I was just having a lot of fun with archery and, uh, I still am, but I just wanted to get the guns out some more, play with them. I have lots of guns and they just kind of sit there. So it's all a part of hunting. There's no, I have nothing, no ties to archery or, um, you know, any specifics that I have to do archery only, but I got the guns out and I had a blast this year, literally. So... I got lucky on a public land sit. Um, how this kind of went was I applied for an archery area for a WMU that uh, I'd never controlled hunted before. So this is this was kind of new to me. It was the subsection that I needed to apply for to be controlled specific in order to hunt there for the last week. And uh, I had applied for the wrong area. So I had contacted one of the MNR officers and had asked them, you know, what can I do? Is there a way we can get this tag reverted? Can we choose a different subsection? Or am I pretty well out of this tag, out of this hunt for this season? She goes, well, you can do some door knocking or, you know, we have some available public lands. And I said, oh, okay, um, public lands. We have public lands, you know, this far south. Um, there's actually quite a bit of public lands this far south. So if, if you haven't looked, there's something called the Klupa, and that is the um, Public Lands Use Atlas app. Uh, you can check that out on Google and search an area or a WMU specific that you're looking for to see if there's any crown land available, public lands, and you can get into some of those. It will come up with the description of what that land use is good for, if it's good for hunting, fishing, if it's um, public that you can use it but you can't hunt there, there's hunting certain species. So those are something, some of the details that you really need to pay attention to if you are going to jump into some public land hunting. And, uh, it worked out that I, I tried out a couple different spots and this, the spots that I had been, I had done my homework. I've been diligent in my whitetail hunting for the past several years now and it really paid off for me this year. So I guess I'll just dive right into the stories unless you have yeah, I got any a questions. I got a few questions. I mean, obviously you told me a little bit about the story on, was it Monday? when he came over so you, you kind of filled me in a bit obviously right. they don't know the full story they probably just saw the the video on uh, instagram and youtube there but because hunting's so new to me and this is my first year being able to hunt obviously i got a thousand questions but some of the basic ones for me would be how long have you been doing the public hunts for maybe not specifically this land but in general since you've been hunting because you've been hunting for how many years now six seven years or so this will this will be coming up on year nine so prior to that, or throughout that process, how many times have you been doing a public hunt like this? Um, I've been public land hunting, I guess. When, well, when we go moose hunting, moose hunting and bear hunting 
for the most part is a lot of public lands crown lands um, once you get up into the northern territory area you're kind of although a lot of those wmus carry um high crown land acreage so but this was my first southern public land hunt this was i had sat twice this week once on wednesday and once on saturday and that was it both were different properties and was able to get something done on the saturday and it's completely different to the northern ones because these ones are obviously a lot more pressurized or receive a lot more pressure from the hunters than those public lands where you go moose hunting right yeah like if you can kind of put it into perspective you're hunting we'll say 100 acres here there's 100 acres there's 10 people hunting that 100 acres. If you're hunting crown land, you're hunting on perhaps 10,000 acres and you're still hunting with 100 hunters. So you kind of put that into perspective. The percentage is obviously drastically lower, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, there's less, there is a lot less pressure going into the northern crown lands than there are in the southern part. And would you say those ecosystems are also healthier there or the amount of whatever animal you're hunting in theory should have a greater population in comparison to here? Or is that something that's too tough to tell? Uh, that's too tough because you're kind of talking about a few different things. That's That, that could be for a whole different day. And the fact that because you've got a few parts to that question and how you have a few parts is you're asking you're asking about different um, land matters in different areas where there's different um, habitat, there's different weather. So down here we have the highest egg per capita of uh, Canada, if I'm not mistaken, for sure, Ontario. So that being said, we have the amount of agriculture we have, the animals we have here. You look at a white-tailed deer from up north and you look at a white-tailed deer from the southern part of Ontario, which is where we are, the London surrounding area, your deer are going to be a lot fattier. Your deer are going to be a lot heavier here. Now, that's just not to say that they're not going to be heavy elsewhere, but you put two three-and-a-half-year-old deer beside each other, and the one that's from the southern, more the higher agriculture land is going to be not necessarily a healthier deer, but a fatty, uh, you know, a more fatty deer and a heavier weight deer there's more to eat so do they have a better lifestyle that I, I don't really know is the habitat better it's tough to say with the food sources they have a lot more food sources they don't have as much to battle with we have coyotes here up north you have bears you have wolves um you know now you're getting into uh lynx you're getting to bobcats um and from from what I've read on some of the online forums, cougars, so that you know that kind of all plays a factor. So to answer, your, it's tough to answer your question because of so there's so many questions in that. All right, um, this spot specifically was this your first time going here? Or is this somewhere that you've been before? I assume because you said that you were given this list of public land spots that you weren't aware of. It was your first time. Yep, this was the first time to this property. What I had done as I do always. Using the Hunt Stand app on my phone, I go through, um, I pick out, you know, I, I zoom in as much as I possibly can to try and pick out what is there. Um, you know, it's a little hard from a topographical view, but you can kind of see, is there CRPs there? Is there, um, you know, tall grass there? Is there just hardwoods? Is there marsh? So this area specifically was a hardwoods, 
and um, it, it was next to some standing corn. So that had kind of worked in my favor for this late season, the standing corn allowing those deer to feel a little more comfortable in their travel routes. And uh, as well as being along that field edge, being on the close to that separation of the field edge to the hardwoods um, is a great line for a buck specifically to be making rubs, scrapes, and still checking those this time of season. It's such an art to listen to, like that many things to go into one. Like I made me think of three of those things. Mm-hmm. That's 10 things. And that's only just one thing that you're doing. I know you're doing 10 other things on top of that based off like what guns you're going to be using, the bullets you're going to be using for that gun, for that animal, so it's, on and so it's forth. It's the weather. It's the weeks. Yeah, it's, super it's, complex. it's everything. The moon phase. The moon phase is important. <laughs> um, for public land, I assume not, but are you allowed to set up any equipment prior to going out? Like from that day, like can you Absolutely, go out? Yeah. So you can go out and set up a trail cam? Oh yeah. Is there a risk in that? I mean, hunters obviously have a pretty good honor system, but that's pretty much the only thing that you would be. I would like to speak for all hunters and say that, yes, we're all out there doing the same thing. And really, um, you know, nobody wants to come across as stolen goods, but it does happen. So that's the risk that you're putting out there with having your tree stand, trail cameras, whatever out there. It could be taken if there's someone who's untrustworthy. You don't know how many people are going through that property. So that is up to you to leave there to yourself. So did you go and look at that property and see if there was an abundance of tree stands around or trail cams that were out there before you went out for that hunt? Nope. This was just the first time I had just done all my homework on my hunt stand, seen what I or looked and you know found what I liked, and this was how I was going to approach it. I, I went in on a wind that I knew I could walk into with the wind at my face, how I was sitting, the wind in my face, and uh, just I, I had picked a tree in between two scrapes. And I knew that those scrapes had been recently checked based on the leaf fall that we've had. This is also another little tip. You know, this time of year when all those leaves like leaves are beginning to fall or almost done falling in a lot of areas that if you're walking by a two or a three by three area that is just scraped up, it looks like there's a stick been trudged through it. Likely that is a hoof from a buck who's marking his territory. If that is just clean dirt, if it's wet and it's a dry day, well, you know one of two things. He's peed in it or it's just rained. If it's a dry day, it obviously didn't rain. So, you know, that kind of can give you some of your own advantage. You know, really the wildlife have the upper hand at all times throughout the year. You know, if you're you're not doing your homework, then for sure they're going to beat you every time. If you're doing your homework, you can slowly pick up those things that, you know, okay, this stands out to me. This is why. So, and that's exactly how I went in hunting this property. So I pretty much just went in on experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, aside from that, like I said, I turn that off a little bit. you, uh, you told me how, how the, the night went down there. So, um, for everybody else, obviously you can give me a more detailed explanation cause I didn't get to hear all the details, but for everybody else that didn't really know. You did get the phone call, though. I got the phone call right after, and like I said, a commented on one of your posts. You could hear the adrenaline in your voice and your voice <laughs> rattling after you shot it. It kind of caught me off guard. Um, but yeah, if you just want to uh, explain that, I know there was just the way you, the, your stand was positioned. There's kind of a funny story behind that, and the reason I say that is just because I saw somebody post a photo today in dress shoes and their camo pants on <laughs> <laughs> when you finally get the afternoon off that and is forget great. your boots. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of had a mistake like that, so if you want to tell us about that. Yeah, I guess th- that's a perfect way to start this off because um, I, I'm very organized when it comes to this time of year. This is... Uh, you know, embedded into my brain and my wife would argue that I pay more attention to this than anything else. And perhaps that is true. Um, 
this is just I, I got so much invested into this uh, time and energy and emotion that I, I like to be meticulous and organized and I was not organized going out to this hunt so um, as always I have everything packed up in my truck in my tailgate I have everything organized so that as soon as I drop that tailgate in the morning and I'm ready to head to my tree I have everything pieced around as to what I'm taking with me so that could be my decoy, my tree stand pad, my tree stand, my sticks, um, a couple extra pegs if I need to get up a foot or two. And usually I have all that together except for this year, new to me, um, trying the hang and hunt system. So basically I have a tree stand with three sticks and two pegs ready at all times. It gets me up 16 feet. Um, I forgot to pack the extra straps for the remaining stick. So I had three sticks, two pegs, and one strap for a stick, a climbing stick. So I got down to my tree, I put my two pegs in, I go to put up my first stick, no problem. I go to grab my next stick and that was where the problem began. I was, I ended up getting up seven and a half feet, I figure, and that's where I sat. I you know, it was borderline. It, it was hot. It was 20 degrees on Saturday. I was, I was sweating and, you know, scent wise, I was just like, you know, this is just all kinds of bad news. And it was either pick a spot on the ground or hang my set and sit seven feet. I sat seven feet and, uh, you know, the wind was in my favor. Um, the buck approached from the proper way as I kind of set up, you know, at a certain point of scrapes. I knew he wouldn't be coming so much from the road where I walked in a few hundred yards, but rather coming from the center of the bush. So, and that's how I approached that. And he worked that perfectly. So that's kind of how that began is my, my seven foot tree stand set up. And then after that, I explained the, the rest of the night, cause I know like the gap in between as to what happened, but obviously you only have so long that you can be out there for, um, and just kind of like what the, the noise atmosphere was like and in terms of when you're planning on heading out and stuff like that, like break down right up until the kill pretty much what happened. Uh, it was quiet. It was a quiet afternoon. I got in there, um, about two o'clock. I was there for three and a half hours. Um, so I think at this point, uh, five forty was the last available shooting light that's when you need to be packed up your gun or your bow in your case and you need to be working your way out of the bush so um i didn't really see anything no deer uh no coyotes i did see a few turkeys loads of squirrels which you, you know you you see one squirrel or you hear a squirrel you think automatically it's a 300 pound deer just with the amount of noise that they make so uh yeah, I was. I didn't really see anything. I always take my pack of juicy fruit with me, so I was sitting there just absolutely mucking juicy fruit. And um, I took a little video that you guys may or may not have seen, so you need to check that out. And you know, I kind of just started messing around on my phone and looked down and was like, "Well, we're we're getting pretty close here. We've got ten minutes." And I uh, packed up my camera gear. Uh, we're getting down to like six minutes to go, and. Uh, I grab my pack. I just do about go throw my pack on my back and I can kind of hear what's more than a squirrel. And obviously once you get to sitting enough, you'll know the, the sound difference of what the squirrel is and what a deer is, you know, and at a specific time, obviously with five minutes left, it, it's quite certain that a deer could be up and moving. And 
um, you know, kind of, I guess a little before that, my, my rattling sequence, my grunting sequence, um, I was doing a little mixture of everything. So I was using an estrus bleat call in uh, my Primos Rut Roar. And so I would start out with that bleat, just a couple soft estrus bleats, two to, two to be specific. And then I got into a couple buck grunts and then I'm doing something um, like I'm doing one, two, long grunt and then i'm doing one two three long grunt long grunt one two and then i do a series of rattling and that series is a little bit aggressive to say okay there was a hot dough in here and now there's two bucks that are kind of fighting you know that can only entice another buck to you know perhaps get out of bed and come check out the situation see what's going on there so you know a, a few more sequence of rattles and like I said, I got down to the point where I was starting to pack things up and we, we had five minutes to go and all I hear this, you know, this complete ruckus going on. So what to me, I would love it to be something checking a licking branch and at 90 yards, sure enough, it was the buck that I was able to harvest. He was checking a licking branch. So I got my range finder, ranged him at 90 and I was like, well, 90 is too far for me to shoot right now. Not with this light, you know, we're, we're five minutes here. I've got, I've got to get him to at least 60 yards or so that I feel comfortable with this amount of light and, uh, was using the CVA Wolf muzzle loader. And sure enough, I three minutes or within two minutes, he had worked 35 yards down to me checking scrapes just being diligent um he had actually kind of worked his way a little bit more south than i wanted and i was hoping to have him kind of cut back a little east and so what i did was when he had got to about that 70 yard mark and i could see he was just traveling more south i just gave him one more flick of the grunt and that grunt call had kind of turned him and he started to come east i got him to i believe like the tree i think i ranged was 65 yards i think he was at about 60 um, he was checking a licking branch as I was watching him through the crosshairs and, uh, yeah, he gave me a perfect front shot right at the front of his shoulder and right through both lungs. And after you hit him, what was, what was going through your mind and what was his reaction to the impact of the shot? Well, the funny thing about a muzzle loader is if you're not shooting smokeless or if you are shooting, yeah, if you're not shooting smokeless, then you got a three foot cloud of smoke so that all you're hoping to see is that white belly up or, you know, obviously here the ruckus that he's making or she's rolling around and, you know, knowing that your shot placement was good and ethical. And once I had seen that, that smoke kind of clear up a little bit, I'd, I'd immediately seen his white belly go up. He didn't go more than 10 yards. He pretty well dropped on the spot and, uh, he kind of ruffled around for perhaps five, 10 seconds. And it was just silence after that. And you sit in the tree a little bit longer, kind of just like embracing that moment or was it get down the tree stand as quick as you couldn't get out there? Cause obviously it's getting dark as well. So you don't really have, or it almost is dark. You don't have much time to waste. So what was, uh, so I made the shot. I had two minutes to spare and I just had waited patiently. It's, it's dark. I'm about to pack up, you know, fully get down, uh, put the gun in the case. I waited, waited a few more minutes. I sat there for 10 minutes and just listened to see if I could hear anything running or crashing away. 
I was quite certain that he was down. I had made a couple phone calls like, hey, we're going to need a, a couple manpower here to be dragging a deer, hopefully. Um, you know, give you more updates here shortly. Uh, got down, went and went over just to investigate. I got up to 25 yards. I could see see the rack and see his body and um, obviously confirmed that he, he was down where I thought he was. And I didn't quite approach him yet just because I wanted to give him some time just to be certain he can never be too too certain of that went back packed up my tree stand and uh you know I, I waited for help to come and then we got the job done and what's the the mindset like after you make that shot is it like a complete calmness that you have going on or is it complete chaos from the adrenaline that's obviously shooting through your body at the time and you just you feel like things are moving super fast but they're moving really slow or vice versa uh i wouldn't say it's it's chaos it's a lot of excitement. You're obviously, as I called you, the adrenaline is just pumping. It's, and it's not, uh, I don't want to put it, obviously there's going to be people that would watch this video and, you know, think that you are just a psychopath. Yeah, no. Um, there's so much emotion and sweat and, uh, you know, in some people's cases, I'm sure there's tears. All of the homework that goes down to this, I, I can't say that, uh, you know, there's, anyone more than a would would give more than a conservationist and a hunter outdoors men or women um to put forth more into their whole season you know that could be waterfowl that could be fishing that can be hunting there's just so much this is a full year program all the time setting trail cameras in the summer and minerals and food plots and uh you know herd deer management all those things come into effect and all that comes to your memory at one time so you know once you make a shot you're just like okay did i do this did i do this did i do this did i do this how did did i ethically harvest that animal did i do everything i could everything i trained for all year long to make the perfect shot and that's kind of what you're thinking about and you know with archery sometimes most times that they run off a, a little bit they they go 20 50 yards and then that's that you know it's quick and they they travel that in three four hops mm -hmm. right um i got lucky in my muzzleloader case that that muzzleloader has been so good to me and i've made sure i'm so accurate with that and comfortable at a distance i mean you know i trust that muzzleloader out to 120 yards would i take that shot i don't think i'm too much of a marksman so i probably wouldn't 65 yards was a perfect more than comfortable shot for me i knew where i put those crosshairs was where that was going and um, i was able to do that quick and very ethical so you felt a little bit of relief definitely released that everything so you know much work goes that's right goes into it and for me as i was doing the the hunting course this year <clears throat> and then knowing you hunting for so many years prior back then what i thought of hunting into comparison now i mean obviously we fish a lot but fishing is pretty generic on the forefront i mean obviously um there's a ton that we learned this year that goes into that but mm. in terms of hunting like even just reading through that book how much goes into the uh conservation and just the process of of hunters the ethics like there's so much information and then as you explain that there's more information of everything that comes out into just that one hunt like that's just one deer in one year mm -hmm. if you get lucky but then the, the public's perception of hunters isn't that. And there needs to be some kind of translation or um, somebody that speaks on behalf of you guys that can translate everything that I just learned from you in the book to somebody 
like me a few years ago that didn't really know what hunting was about because that is like a ginormous world to be a part of now and to understand what goes into that but i feel like we're just it's not it's not seen that way but anyways um i think you said it was was it chris that you had out there from yeah the chris outdoors? from he's outdoors yeah and he just i know you guys obviously had the quad out there you just gave him a no, shot and he no brought quad out. there was no quad out there no we just two was it the vehicle dragon. that you had the back or coming back to pick it up then or what no no we just dragged it so uh where i was the the deer i think was at about 50 yards from um my truck where i kind of parked it in this like crp grass area so we had a 50 yard drag off of like we, we weren't on a road so we kept our distance and we were on like a kind of little gravel patch and some crps between some crop and the hardwoods so 50 yard drag from from there to the truck and how long was that like how far how long would it take you to drag that that distance we were like five ten minutes oh that's right that's not yeah just just two guys going at it uh we we were dragging hard um so then after that you obviously threw it in the truck brought it home Mm -hmm. pretty much immediately and then just went right to skinning it uh no i i I knew it was going to be cold that night so um i had left it and it You'll see as, you know, I start introducing you to this a lot more that it's a lot easier to butcher when the meat is cold. Um, you were a butcher. Yes, right. Uh, butcher, the skinning, all of that is much easier when the animal is not so warm and there's not tons of blood that's running down. It makes it much easier when it's it's cold but it i had to make sure of that because we were 20 degrees throughout that day midday and i think we were five degrees through the night and i believe 10 the next morning mid-afternoon so you waited until the next day to yeah uh, next morning i got after it right away and how long was that process skinning and butchering myself five hours wow i had um a neighbor that came by to learn a few things and my wife that was helping me so nice um and then how much meat did that deer specifically produce for you uh 85 pounds of meat and i only kept part of one rack of the ribs what's the reasoning for that I just, uh I just know. the well where i had shot i had got a couple of the ribs so it didn't do mm, the yeah, greatest obviously. um and the way he had gone down he had kind of bruised himself up pretty good so the one thing with uh, deer ribs is they're tough to cook. Once you find a good recipe, the meat eater crew have an awesome recipe for that. So you can check that out in one of their books. Um, very tasty. But the ribs aren't they aren't very meaty. A lot of people would say they're not very rewarding. Um, I personally enjoy them, but I'm the only person that I know enjoys them. So, you know, for me to keep two full racks of ribs, um, you know, and like I said, the one was, wasn't, uh, in, in the best of shape. So, um, I kept the one that was, and yeah, utilized just about everything that I could out of that animal. And then obviously you grilled up one of, uh, what was it that you had that night? I remember seeing the photo for it, but, um, definitely the back strap. And then was that, uh, a recipe that you've shared with anybody or... Where'd you get that one? That from? is just a straight, uh, super simple, a little bit of garlic salt and a little bit of Java House Pit Boss rub, and it's awesome. It's like a like a coffee rub, so it's just a dry rub, four minutes, four minutes on either side on the the Pit Boss grill, and done. 
Sounds like that'd make a great video. <laughs> a nice medium rare dish. Um, yeah, it's it's super delicious. So how long will that 85 pounds end up lasting you for then? I guess it depends how much we eat it. Uh, 2018, we had two deer in the freezer and I actually have one small um, little rack of ribs left. That would be enough for just me to eat. And that is it. So a year and a a year. And is it something that you get sick of eating after? I personally never do. No. I mean, there's a great mix of of everything. I, I think for as far as this week, we've had wild turkey, we've had um, walleye, and now we've had we've had venison. So you know, it, we're, yeah, we're Wednesday, and that is just everything that has come from the wild. That is not mm-hmm. grocery store. Absolutely. Right. Like that is, uh, and and that's what I strive for is just, you know, the antlers on the wall are obviously a bonus, and that's what you're putting a lot of work in for but i mean just the the quality of meat is so much better out of the wild game meat and it, it's a lot more fun to be out there fishing hunting and I, I would much rather do that eat that than be buying grocery store meat i know what what these animals are eating and um, i know where it's coming from it also helps that you have a knack for cooking too and you pretty much, if you could, sleep beside your pit boss outside. So <laughs> It's only been the past three years mm-hmm. that I've really dove into um, the cooking sector. I've just, I've definitely found a passion for it. But that goes hand in hand because, I mean, you could eat that deer for the week. I just mean, delete that section there. You probably wouldn't, but you could eat that for the week. Yeah. Uh, but you've changed enough recipes throughout that week. That's not something you get sick of. Yeah. Um, so when that was all said and done, like, do you have any more plans to do another public hunt like that? That's the same. And because of success, did that change your opinion on those public hunts to an extent where it's like, okay, I want to do more of these or are you still pretty neutral on like, it's something that I'd like to switch up every once in a while or what's your thought process there? Um, yeah, actually. And I had this conversation with a buddy today that I'm certainly going to get back out on these public lands, both of the properties that I tried and there's still some more that I was interested in, um, different WMUs, but, um, you know, given the satellite imagery, I, I would definitely be getting back out on these spots and I'm going to be doing it with, uh, the bow. So, uh, I liked what I had seen, and obviously I was successful in har- harvesting a you know a mature deer, and I'll yeah I'll definitely get back out there. All right, and what's what's the plans for the upcoming week, or what are we on now? Wednesday, obviously. Um, yeah, what are your plans for the upcoming week and, and weekend in terms of hunting? Yeah, it was kind of a whitetail Wednesday takeover of new hunter questionnaire. Um, so what am I seeing? I guess at this point. What am I seeing? I'm seeing and I'm hearing a lot of people that are experiencing what we generally call the lockdown phase. The lockdown phase being bucks tending does that are hot and very difficult to get those off of the does. So, um, you know, you're rattling, you're grunting, stuff like that might not be working. And, you know, that's just because those bucks, it's not to say you're doing a bad job, but those bucks have found a hot doe that they're already interested in and it's almost impossible to pull them off of that. One thing being is cutting those bucks off in a certain area. What I like to do at this time is I like to hunt the does. And I don't actually hunt the does, but I hunt where the does are going to be. 
does at this time are bedding in a lot of tall CRP grasses are an unbelievable thing to be hunting this time of year because a doe will go there it's you know quick and easy between a food source a field edge um, a creek bank and they'll get up and go to and from those crps so you can often f find yourself or you know find a good setup spot somewhere along those crps it's almost one of my favorites i think it works out quite well um and be between where that doe is and where it's going to be going you know if it's going to a food source make sure you're in the path that that doe is going to take so if there's a buck falling right behind it you can cut that off and you know hopefully be successful so i'm going to continue to um be hunting does and uh, I, I do have an additional tag still so i'm going to be doing that for a little bit i still do have um, a couple target bucks that i would like to get after on some property so i'm going to try for that uh, we have one intermittent week that we go back to archery and then we go back to controlled and then we're back to archery so um, this week looks like we got you know I believe we're at the peak of the rut right now um, like I said bucks are really running everywhere after these hot does a lot more does are coming into heat and bucks are going to be tired you know that's another good time to get after these bucks and you know they will be going to the food sources but primarily hunt the water source hunt the water source and find the doe bedding area those are the two best little bits of advice i can give to anyone um they've been they've worked out great for me in the past and that's what i'm going to continue to use i think you know going into next week we've got some great temps so that is going to keep these deer up on their feet a little longer throughout the day and um we're going to see a good couple two weeks here hunting I think that's um, pretty much all the questions for me. I mean, if I take the video and I go back and rewatch it, I feel like I was just given a, a silver platter of the rules and things to follow to go out for a successful hunt. So, I mean, if, as long as I and that's just the beginning, and listen to that, I should be successful <laughs> if I went out. But that's uh, that's everything for me. Thanks for sharing the story. Yeah, well, appreciate the questions. And if you guys have any questions or if you want your story or, you know, um, your area to be talked about on a podcast, shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. You can also check out the webpage at www.ontariooutdoorpursuit.com. We have some awesome new gear, um, cam hoodies, three quarters, t-shirts, and stay tuned you don't get a glimpse at these yet but these will be coming in the next little while so you can just enjoy them and not get one yet stay tuned we'll see you guys next week for episode number seven